Welcome to another edition of the Michigan State University Work-Life Podcast. I'm sitting here today with the 2015 winner of one of our Outstanding Supervisor Awards, Nancy Schmidt, PhD, RN, works for the College of Nursing. Nancy, welcome. Please tell me a little bit about what you do over there at the College of Nursing. Well, I'm the Director of Academic Instructional Support Services which translates into the director of all sorts of things. So um, I have a staff that support faculty in the on-site, off-site, and online venues in delivering instruction, Um, plus uh, off-site clinical placements. So the nurses have to go, undergraduate nurses go, groups of them go to... Uh, hospitals or inpatient places, and we have to find hospitals and units that will take them and and welcome them with an instructor. And then our graduate nurses um, go into ambulatory care settings um, for the nurse practitioners. Some of the clinical nurse specialists go into hospitals, but at a different, not a bedside kind of thing, but more of a, a teaching quality improvement uh, role in a hospital. Um, so that's part of off-site, and on-site is um, classroom technology. Uh, online is the D2L stuff that instructors may come in and need help with, and so we have people that handle all oh, in our simulation lab. That's a lot of stuff. Seriously, it's all sorts of things. Now, we are uh, talking to a lot of outstanding supervisors through this podcast series, and I have not heard that long of a list of things to do on a daily basis and be aware of. So that's probably going to uh, influence the type of questions I ask you about supervision. Uh, What we're doing in this podcast series is going around campus talking to past winners of the Outstanding Supervisor Award, and we are looking for best practices and tips or any advice that you can offer and share with the rest of the Spartan community. And why that's important is because I think that there is a little bit of a gap in supervisors talking to one another about this type of thing. And I'm not just assuming this. It's what I'm hearing in some of these podcast interviews, that supervisors kind of supervise a team, but they don't really have uh, too much supervisor-to-supervisor collegiality. Uh, I could be totally wrong. And I'd like to ask you about your experience at Michigan State with uh, any type of network that you have or know of that you can consult with another supervisor here on campus, uh, perhaps in your unit or in another department that you can kind of go to for uh, answering some of your questions in hard situations or someone who you know can offer you resources and knowledge to help you be a better supervisor? Well, since we are kind of a professional school, we are a professional school, um, our interaction with other schools or other colleges um, is not that intense, although we do. Um, I did have a chance to do, we had an IT leadership program, so I was able to go to that, even though I'm not exactly the IT person. Um, it, it helped me network with a lot of other people that were maybe stepping into the leadership role. Um, 
and we would talk about things during that whole program. Uh, one of my staff, I sent one of my staff also to that afterwards, which was, um, it was a really good development tool for him, and, and he's learning to use a lot of that stuff, and we're trying to find ways to get him involved in that. Um, but other than that, usually I use my HR person, yeah. you know, for the college, for any of that kind of thing. So it, it does sound like there's a, a need to build up that sort of network. And there are a lot of supervisors across campus who are interested in doing that. And so we'll continue to build that and uh, that network and those relationships. But I heard you mention that you encourage one of your staff members to go to the leadership development program and training. And that's really great. And that sort of indicates that you're mentoring someone in your own unit. So can you talk a little bit about the value of mentoring with that individual? And uh, did you have any mentors as you came up through the ranks uh, who kind of influenced how you behave as a supervisor? Um, I had some, I've been very fortunate with supervisors. And um, I know they're probably the one that influenced me most was, um, um, I was, at the Rehabilitation Institute in the Detroit uh, Medical Center in the Education Department. And he was a very supportive, go for it, I'll help you get what you want kind of guy. Um, not in even a pushing way, it was like, let me know what you need and I'll see what I can arrange for you. Um, and I, I have to say that that approach with me worked wonders. You know, I was able to just step out there and um, go after things that were um, important for my career development, personal and professional development. Um, and most of the time, I'm pretty friendly with who supervises me, even on a personal level. When he said uh, to you that you could come to him for resources or things that you need. Um, it's one thing to say that as a supervisor, and it's another thing to mean it. So can you think back to when he said, hey, you know, I, I'm going to support you. Come, come to me with anything that you need. How had you built up trust uh, with that individual that you knew when he said that, that he was being genuine. And how did you get that comfort level with that individual? Or did it just happen by magic? Because I can tell you that sometimes supervisors, it's just a bunch of hot air. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I serve all my individuals and staff members, and they can come to me for anything. Meanwhile, the staff members out in the hall, scared to death to come in and ask for stuff. So how did you build that up? His supervisor was open to things, too. So there was that whole culture in the environment and I knew that we could work as a team and that he wasn't constrained so much um, that helps too when you know beyond your circle of, of um, responsibility and you know that your, your supervisor has to report to another supervisor and there are constraints on them um, I understood what was possible at the time so that helped a lot. If, and I would have to say that if, if he wasn't able to get along with his supervisor in, in our area, things may have been differently. He wouldn't have been different, but I mean, I, maybe my opportunities would have been different. So it, it's not just supervisor in front line. 
it's a whole culture because the supervisor has constraints as well. Yeah, and the team needs to know what those constraints are. Yes. There's an open honesty that needs to be in place so that if the supervisor is under a lot of pressure and might have to cancel some meetings or shut their door for a period of time, uh, that the team understands why that is. Yes. Um, so other, other than just uh, telling your staff that you're under a lot of pressure or that you have to shift priorities, how is your staff going to know um, when something has kind of rocked the boat a little bit um, do you just uh, kind of open your door and yell it out that something's going on? <laughs> or no. <laughs> how do you communicate with your team when something like that comes up? Is it a mass email? What do you think works best in a supervisor? I have um, a, Well, I have like six people that report to me, so mm-hmm. I, um, I, can, I can gather them. And we have weekly meetings. I have time to do that. Some supervisors don't have time to do that, but I do. Um, I'm pretty much out there with what what comes down the line to me, I explain to them. Likewise, when I meet with my supervisor, I explain what what's happening with them to my supervisor. To the extent, you know, I'm not betraying any confidences. Or, and, and sometimes there are confidences that you have to hold. But uh, openness is really important. And, and when people understand what pressures you're under... Um, they seem to understand what um, flows from that. Mm-hmm. And if you have six individuals that report to you on your team, they're going to be different. Six or seven? Yeah. Seven. Yeah. yeah. They're going to be different um, people in different circumstances. And so we can shift from just communicating uh, some news or happenings that are going on in the office to dealing with uh, these individuals in times that they might, they might have a crisis. So um, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote. I just went to the market. I bought my apples. I'm feeling great today. It's Friday, and I love apples. And so I bought them. I asked the cashier how uh, he was doing today, and he didn't seem to at the same level of happiness that I was at. And I kind of felt bad and embarrassed because, you know, I said, I'm doing just so great, and he didn't seem to be doing that great. And so how can you balance that in the office where you might be having a lot of success, three of your seven team members are just coasting along, having fun, getting ready for the weekend, but you notice that one or two of your team members is either performing at a low level or seems uh, stressed out and overburdened. It can be anything under the sun that you want to talk about in this uh, podcast. How do you key in on the individual needs and uh, circumstances that your team members are going through? First of all, they're pretty open with me about it. But there are times when I sense they need space and maybe not a question. <laughs> um, to the extent that I think it's something that they need to deal with on their own, I have to give them space to do that. I, I don't need to know everything about everything. If it starts impacting the workflow or what the deliverables that we're responsible for, and I gotta say, (laughs) that rarely happens. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate also. Um, I will call the stakeholders together and say, This seems to be happening. How can we make it? How how do we fix it? 
So it's focusing on a situation or a pattern or a, a priority and looking for a way to fix it, not, not blaming, not shaming, not because that will turn it off immediately. I, you know, I think anybody's had you know, the evil eye at them because you made a mistake, and that, that doesn't make you want to like, be better. And it's a real fine line or a balance between giving an employee space and approaching the employee to ask them if they need something. And I'll give you a specific a topic to kind of segue into talking about. Flex time and leave time. Uh, you know, so if an employee is having a bad day and they come back the next day and they bounce back and they're fine, you know, you gave them space, they came back, everything's good. But if you notice a pattern of uh, an employee showing up late or, um, you know, performing at a low level, uh, can you talk about how you might approach that uh, employee and convey resources like the ability to flex time, maybe work from home on a day? Or in my personal case, we're caring for an elderly family member right now. And so, you you know, you just kind of have to almost tiptoe around it, but get at the topic where you can deliver the resources. Because, I mean, some employees, the first thought when they have an elderly family member they're caring for isn't, oh, I have leave time benefit and available to me. I'm going to go to my boss. Sometimes the supervisor has to find that out. So how how can you practically uh, approach employees or does it happen before the circumstance occurs that you just educate and inform the employees about all of the resources available to them? How do you get an employee to utilize a service like leave time and flex time when they need it? I haven't had um, anybody not ask for it when they needed it. Yeah. So I, I can't, I guess I can't speak to that. But the work has to get done. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, from a supervisor's standpoint, you have to kind of figure out how that can happen. Um, but again, I've not had the situation where someone couldn't take leave or or, or didn't want to ask for it. Because it, it sounds like you've created an environment where your employees are knowledgeable about the resources and comfortable to ask you to utilize them. I feel that. To be so, I, I hope they feel that to be so. I hope I'm not missing anything, but that seems to me. And my staff are young and they have children, and that's always an issue with daycare and sick kids and and whatever. But to the extent that we can flex around or work from home or get somebody else in to cover, and um, the areas are so diverse. Of, of staff that report to me. Sometimes we can help each other, sometimes we can't. But to the, the extent to, to where we can um, step up to the plate, we do that. Yeah. And it, it just, it, it, I just keep thinking about how you somehow built the foundation for the future good outcomes. And when people are listening to this, uh, they're probably going to think that you have some type of magic occurring in your office where everyone <laughs> is just so happy and everything's great all the time but i have to emphasize the fact that it doesn't the outcome is not great unless the variables that go into it are you know great and so that that includes educating and informing your employees about the resources and having them comfortable enough to come 
and talk to you about that. Um, because if one of those variables is missing, if they don't know that the resource is available, they'll never use it. And if they're scared of you, they'll never come ask for it. So those are two uh, very important variables. Um, is there any other specific resource that you are very fond of um, conveying to your employees? I'll, I'll give you the example in my case. Uh, I am really a big uh, advocate for EAP. They happen to be across the hall, Employee Assistance Program. Uh, and I say uh, things like, there's no shame in my game. I am a very uh, pleased recipient of EAP services. And so I'm not uh, ashamed in any way to say EAP is useful. And to any of my colleagues, if you think that you could in any way benefit from Employee Assistance Program, you should go there ASAP. And then uh, there are certain teams on campus that don't know what it is and, you know, try to promote it continually. Uh, what are some of the resources? It, it could be across the spectrum. Maybe you really like the intramural uh, athletics facilities or something, or maybe you like walks around the gardens or something. What is something that you bring to your employees that you say, hey, uh, you might not know about this, but this is really cool at Michigan State. You should check this out. Well, they, again, uh, my turnover is not that great, so mm-hmm. they've been here a while, so yeah. they know. Um, EAP, I, we all know about that, um, and it's encouraged if you need it. I, I know one, one of uh, the staff members used, um, I think the daycare was shut, and there's another daycare that can pick up for him. Right, backup-dependent care. I didn't know that one, yeah. but so he brought it to the team, and, so, again, uh, I have a really very um, functional team, very highly functional, and I think very self-aware. Um, but I encourage that, too. I encourage that. The other thing that I think that's important, and I do have to remind them, because they are like kind of type A, <laughs> tell me when you need help. Don't let it get to that point. If you need help, tell me. Don't, don't let it make you crazy. And then we'll together we'll try to figure out what what's available. It sounds like your team has been together a long time, and they sound kind of tight knit. Is that an accurate, fair statement? Pretty. Tight. I, I I don't know socially outside, not so and, much. And but I mean, in in the building, yeah, we know who we are in terms of team. You know, every once in a while, and then it's because their functions are so diverse. It's it's hard to have team meetings all that you know, with an agenda that means something to all of them. But I try to do it at least quarterly, and we have lunch, and we this is the update. And, but meanwhile, people are talking to each other in the hall, and, and, and we're located kind of close in our offices. I was going to ask you about socially, because uh, it's on my question list about how to build uh, a good cohesive team and how to get to know each other. And uh, some teams might go out after work and have dinner together, other supervisors put a real hard boundary up and, you know, no, nothing outside of work. What's your perspective on that? You know? Well, everybody's got things to get to mm-hmm. after work. It's, it's different when you're young and you don't have, well, if you don't have responsibilities at home waiting for your kids that you have to pick up from school or, or, or elderly parents that you have to get home to whatever. Um, and for me, it's just getting to the gym before I fall asleep. Mm-hmm. But... Um, in the past, with, with other bosses, when I've had a, a, an opportunity to do that, and people, we used to do that a lot of times. 
the, for for my group right now, it's not it's not a perfect thing after work. But I've had them to my house for a retreat. Let's plan. Let's what's going on? You know, what's your goal? What's your goal? We had a family day one time out at at my house, like a picnic, and um, when it's convenient, when we can pull them all together, I've done that on a number of times. But I don't think it's necessary all the time. It, people have. And, and I and I'm very aware of that. They have obligations too. So I don't want to feel anybody that feels that they have to go to some extracurricular kind of deal. So I I want to make sure that they feel okay about that too. Especially when the boss asks you. See, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> now it sounds like your team's been together a long time. That makes me think things could get stale after a while. Um, so it leads me to ask you a question about, you know, in my, in my list of questions we ask about appreciation. And it comes to mind because if you've had the same team members for several years, are, you know, birthday cakes and birthday cards getting old? How do you keep things fresh? And how do you give appreciation, show appreciation to your team that isn't the same uh, thank you card that they've been getting for the past 15 years. How do you keep it fresh on a team that's been together that long? So we don't do birthday cakes, and um, but every once in a while they may find a cupcake on their desk. <laughs> um, with a vegan person, they might find a banana mm-hmm. or an apple. Um, is it sporadic? It's just... it's kind of sporadic. If I know somebody's been having a particularly difficult time, there may be some little thing we do. I don't do... I, there's not a big ritual. I say thank you a lot. Um, I appreciate a lot. I know this was hard, and you got through it. Um, in the same way that I don't go to a big ritual, appreciate. I don't want them to feel like they have to reciprocate that to me either. I mean, that's just kind of how I am. That works for other people. And, and other, other groups, that would be a great thing to do. So I wouldn't, dis, I wouldn't discount that, the importance of that. Uh, Boss's Day is coming up October 16th, so maybe they're planning a huge surprise party for you. you well, that know. was that the outstanding supervisor thing. Yeah, that how, one blew me away. How did that go? Tell me about the experience. What did they do for you? Um, there was a meeting that I pulled together that my boss, you know, suggested we pull it together to get the whole team together. And, and the dean was new on that. That was his, I think, the first year he was there. And the dean wanted to come talk about simulation. And we had the simulation coordinator. She was going to give a presentation. And the techie guy was going to give a presentation. And um, there were a number of people there. And all of a sudden, these people burst in the room. You know, it's like... Um, what is that? Where they bring the big check only they didn't. Oh, publishers. Publishers clearinghouse. It was kind of like that. There was like, oh my God, there was balloons and signs, and um, it was very surreal because I, what is this all about? I had no, none, no inclination. But you know, it was kind of nice. They took pictures and they were giving me presents, and I, I was just awestruck. Um, and then they shared with me the letters that they sent in afterwards, and it was very touching. But again, it wasn't a big ritual, you know, that Nancy does these big ritual appreciations. But what was important in the letters was she understood what I needed um, outside space. Um, 
she helped me solve a problem. She, you know, and it was, it's kind of like the everyday stuff that, that's most important in my estimation. I, you know, Tuesdays that you need, you need to leave early to go pick up your kid or your, somebody's sick or you didn't get any sleep last night. Those are the, the times I want them to feel, okay, you know, we, we got it covered. It's nice talking to you because it, it's, it's normal behavior for you. It's the way that you normally operate. And I'm getting the sense of that from a variety of outstanding supervisors that I talk to. It's just becoming normal for you and some others to, um, to work with staff like that. And it makes for a really wonderful work environment. And it's unfortunate to say that it doesn't exist across the campus. This is not normal behavior for some people. This is why we give out the Outstanding Supervisor Award. Uh, some of the submissions come in and uh, they're not so outstanding. You know, they really uh, talk about what is normal behavior, like uh, make sure the employee gets paid and, you know, uh, make sure they come in and leave on time. Uh, that's basic supervision. But it's the stuff of going above and beyond when you build the relationships and the trust with the employees that they feel comfortable working with you. That's the outstanding thing. And it is hard to say that that's outstanding. It should be normal. That's one of the reasons why we're doing the podcast series and trying to inform everyone across campus that if you raise the bar a little bit, in your case, that's where your bar is, that everything can be a little bit better in the workplace. And uh, believe it or not, it's just not normal yet for some people. And we're trying to uh, bring it up a notch at Michigan State so that all outstanding all supervisors are outstanding. And it's funny because if we do our job, you know, we'll have to get rid of the award because everyone will be <laughs> outstanding. Uh, but we're not quite there yet. Um, one of the first things that we have to do is uh, build trust between employees and supervisors. And we're trying to also build trust with the institution. I know uh, you brought in a little list of building blocks that can help build trust. And I've been asking folks who I've been interviewing on the podcast, what are some uh, sources that you go to for uh, your knowledge about how to be an outstanding supervisor? Some individuals have mentors, some have the network uh, of uh, colleagues that they can go to. You have this uh, toolkit, so to speak, uh, that you go to. Can you talk a little bit about these building blocks that you brought in and, and how they work and how they influence your uh, kind of everyday uh, way of uh, operating at work. I will tell you, I have to give credit where credit's due, though. It's um, the base. We have to do that in academia. I we know. We have to cite I know. our sources. So Zinger Miller is a consulting firm that uh, worked with a previous employer that I had. Um, and actually, I was one of the train, you know, the train the trainers, and I was one of those. So I really got into this uh, building blocks of trust. And there are six basic principles to this. Um, they at this other employer, they actually put it on a, our coffee mugs, right? And so we were looking at those every day. And the, the basic principles are um, focus on the situation, issue, or behavior, and not on the person. In other words. We're having a problem with this situation, not you screwed up again. Everybody makes mistakes. 
everybody makes mistakes. And one, one of the things I always think about, and when in my head I'm thinking, oh, he did that. Ten minutes later, I will do something equally as, <laughs> as erroneous, and, and it has to go back and say, see, we all do this. Um, the second one is maintain the self-confidence and self-esteem of others. Again, that's not shaming people. Help them build their confidence to do a good job and acknowledge when that happens. I don't think you have to acknowledge when it does. Well, when the deliverable isn't there, there are consequences, and people have to know what those consequences are. But they're natural consequences, and again, you don't have to shame somebody. Right, it's a difference between addressing an issue Mm -hmm. versus publicizing somebody's downfall. Or Or trying to find the person whose fault it really is. That's That's a... a rabbit hole we go down. Well, it's, well, when she does it, well, when he does it. And, there's and no real benefit. There's none. Um, maintain constructive relationships. You don't burn bridges. And, uh, and that's the everyday stuff. Because people will remember the everyday stuff. The, the big ritual stuff is, is fine, and, and it marks events and milestones, and I, I agree with that. But I think um, your relationship is really built on the stuff that they can count on every day. Um, take initiative to make things better. Again, you're not trying to find out whose fault it is, although finding where the fault lies may help you correct the problem. But if you take the initiative to make things better instead of talking about why things didn't go right incessantly, the initiative to make things better your solution-seeking, not um, just naming the problems. Lead by example. So if I make a mistake, you know, I will, I will move to make things better as well. And I will apologize if that's inconvenient for somebody else, but I don't, I don't shame myself into not moving forward and trying to make it better. Um, and the last one was think beyond the moment. This is huge. This is huge because the moment is emotional a lot of times. Sure. But you've got to think beyond the moment and know that Tomorrow's another day. We have another tra- chance to make this better or change things totally. Um, we have decisions we can make that will affect later on. So those are the things that I carry around with me. They're not on my coffee cup anymore. I don't even know where that coffee cup is. But um, that's kind of how it's, it's guided me, and I think it served me well. And I, and I do think I see that in other people when it happens. And, and I will try to enable that a little more. That's good. And those, those types of toolkits or lists of um, focus and values are really good to have, whether they're on a coffee mug or on a, a bulletin board or something, uh, or if, even if they're just in your head and they just kind of drive you uh, to the type of work that you do on a daily basis. So I appreciate you bringing those in and answering my questions today about uh, tools and tips for being an outstanding supervisor. It's been uh, four years since you won the award and you're still going strong. Really appreciate you coming in and uh, hopefully we have many more years to come with you, Nancy Schmidt, before you retire and become uh, a Spartan Emeritus. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for coming in and thank you all to listening to this episode of the Work Life Podcast.